Today our show is sponsored by Nutrafol. 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. If you are among them, know that you're not alone and there is a solution you can trust to deliver results. Thousands of women have taken back control of their hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol offers targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through all stages of life. Healthier hair growth takes time. You'll begin to experience thicker, stronger, faster growing hair in three to six months. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months of use. Nutrafol is physician formulated to be 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective doses so you get the most reliable results. And no matter your stage in life, they have a solution. Nutrafol women's formulation is ideal if you're experiencing thinning hair loss caused by stress, dieting, overstyling, or environmental toxins. Their other formula, Women's Balance, is for additional hormone support for those with thinning hair through menopause. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code SELFIE to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com with the promo code SELFIE. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360 degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hi, you're listening to Selfie. I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist, and this is a weekly podcast about women learning how to take care of themselves. Self-care is important, and yet it can be elusive. While we may have all the information we need, we don't always get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, maybe a touch of the random. And we also want to look at the defenses and distractions that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions, for me or Rue or to Claire, our beauty expert or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching for Selfie Facebook Community on Facebook. Hey guys, well, today on Selfie, I am going to be doing an interview with Philip Shepard. We are going to be talking about radical wholeness and why it is so difficult to be present in our lives. But first, I'm going to do a little check-in with Rue. She is our new co-host, and I'm so excited to be with her. Um, Rue, why is it hard to be present? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I think for me, I have the most trouble being present maybe when I'm trying to like wind down. I find that mm. all you know, sit on the couch and queue up a documentary or a show, but then I also have my laptop or I also have my phone and then I'm not really paying attention to either. Uh So at one point I decided I would try knitting because knitting, Mm. you you, kind of have, like your hands are busy, but it's kind of, you kind of just kind of do, it's not another screen that's vying for my attention um, as opposed to a laptop or a phone. So there was a period of time where I would knit and watch something. um, And I found that to be 
really relaxing, like a way to kind of like, oh, I'm engaging in this whatever TV show. And then I'm also busy, you know, making something absurd that I'll never wear or use. But the act of it was nice. But generally speaking, I would say that uh, I, I, I think it's certain things vying for my attention and that I, I do that thing where I'm paying attention to too many things. Well, and I do that too. And I feel like it's that fallacy that like, if I do both of these things, then I'm multitasking and I'll be getting done like more done when in reality, that sort of partial attention actually just makes us a little crazy, I think. Yes, yes. I um, even even if it comes to something like, I can't even listen to an audiobook while I'm, I don't know, doing dishes, because mm. at some point, I zone out. And then I'm like, Oh, man, I need to rewind a little bit. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I, I think I missed that chapter entirely. Yeah. You know, it's funny to me, the, the whole idea of like, having difficulty being present is is so it's almost comical it reminds me of i remember there was some comedian that talked about girls who get tattoos of just breathe written on their arm and like he was joking like (laughs) why would you need to remind yourself to just breathe like are you not involuntarily just breathing and and being present is one of those things it's like well how can you not be present because you're there in your life right right Um, and yet, I, I just think it is really hard for a lot of us. For me, I'm – have you done your Enneagram, by the way, Rue? I have. I have. Um, and I am, I think, a two-wing three. Okay. I could totally see that. Yes. Um, so I'm a three-wing two, and that three, um, we're really task-oriented. And so for me being present, the difficulty comes in – I could be even like – sitting at a brunch with friends and I'm thinking of all the things that I need to do when I leave brunch. That's what not being present looks like for me. It's like that constant pull of like, okay, what's next? What do I need to do? What, you know, what, what's the thing that I'm doing right after this and how am I planning that instead of just sitting and enjoying myself? I wonder if it's tied into something like we we don't feel like we're being, like we're not, if we're not being productive, then something is wrong. Oh, for sure. I, I massively struggle with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I've, I've really forced myself to try to do that. Like, well, maybe why don't I just go for a walk in the woods and just enjoy it and maybe not even be distracted by, you know, uh, text messages coming in or yeah. not get not get on a phone call while I'm walking through the yep. woods. Just maybe enjoy my own company, which is totally. you know, uh, certainly a challenge. Yeah, it is a challenge. I mean, I've even made a commitment that I like – I won't look at my phone even at the stop sign. I, I just won't look at it, which I know is super crappy to be looking at your phone at stop signs or lights or what have you, but I really struggled with it. And I have I have my phone on one of those stands. So, you know, I can hands-free look at it, take a peek. And I've just made a commitment. Like, I'm not even doing that. Like, I can get from A to B without thinking about whoever's trying to reach out to me. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like, wait a minute, you want me to be alone with my thoughts? That sounds terrible. (laughs) That too. That too. And if people have not listened to last week's episode, it was about that very thing about giving ourselves space to feel our feelings. And Sarah and I both struggle with that too. Like, being alone with our thoughts because then right. we have to feel things, which I I think that's why most of us have a Spotify account. That's probably yeah. why I'm like, yes. ah, this room is too quiet. Uh-huh. Let me turn on some. Right. Yeah. That's probably the Alexa, thing. play a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, I don't know. It's, it's one of those difficult things. I will say in this interview, as this guy was talking, I, you know, when you're like listening to someone and you're like, man, he's not speaking directly to me, literally, but metaphorically, like he is speaking directly to me. Like, what is happening? Yeah. I mean, do you have any, um, uh, do you have any like, like one amazing takeaway from your interview with him? Um, You know, he has this whole idea. I mean, you'll hear it, you know, this idea of embodied presence. And I, that really resonated with me. That part really resonated with me, that practice. And just that it, you know, it requires an actual practice, that you're not just going to get there, like land there by accident, that you actually maybe have to have some intention in it. Right. Cool. Well, let's do a little self-care check-in. I mean, I know this is your first show, so I guess you can just catch us up on your entire life. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. No, no pressure. But how is self-care going for you right now? Well, I decided because uh, I enjoy, and maybe this is me being a, the, the three part of the two wing three, is I enjoy making goals for myself. And so mm-hmm. I decided for 2020, I am going to run 20 races in 2020. Now, hmm. I am not a runner. In fact, this is why this is probably a struggle for me because I generally like being good at things that involve athleticism. Um, But I'm a really, really slow runner to the point where um, people are like, I genuinely don't understand how walking isn't faster than the pace (laughs) at which you run. So I think because it hurts my pride, it's good for me to stretch myself. And I want to get to the point, either by the end of the year, I'm either going to be one of those people that loves running, or I'm going to hate it and I'll just never do it again. Or maybe you'll find some middle ground. No, no, no. That's not an option. I'm either going to be <laughs> I'm either going to be one of those compression sock wearing, you know, mace in my hand all mm-hmm, the time, mm-hmm. you know, bandaging up my legs kind of gal or pouring uh, that's goo it. into your mouth as you run. Absolutely. That's yourself. I mean, I do that for fun regularly, but yes, <laughs> yes, that is that is the goal. So I, um, I've been using the Strava app, and I've been just tracking runs. And even if I don't do like a full out run, I'm like, let me just track this hike. And I find that to be very rewarding because at yeah. the end of each at the end of each walk run, there's almost this like journaling portion of it where I say how difficult it was, mm. and I add a picture of the place where I ran or I walked. And I actually I'm finding that to be enough motivation to keep going at least through January. So tell me about this app. I don't know. It's Strava? Yes, S-T-R-A-V-A. So anytime you run or walk or hike, um, you can kind of track your mileage and track your pace, and it shows you a little map. And then I love the idea of saying, um, you know, at the end, hey, this is how I felt. Because for me, yeah. a, lot of the, a, lot of, a lot of the reward is how I feel after. Like, running is not fun. It is not enjoyable. I'm wheezing and everything hurts. But at the end, I'm like... Heck yeah, you know, I just ran that, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever amount of, um, whatever amount of distance, and it, it, it does feel like a bit of an accomplishment. So I love anything that is basically like a little gold medal or gold totally. star or smiley face sticker. So, oh, I do too, I do too. That's why I used to use the Nike Run app, same thing, and it would like, you yes. would like show a little map of where you went and how far you ran and what your mileage was. I always really liked that little like affirmation from an app. <laughs> As a true millennial Gen Xer cusp, I clearly need to gamify everything. Oh, completely, completely. But I am the same. I I am just a person who I have always hated exercise in terms of the experience of it. You know, being in the class or taking a run the whole time. I'm like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. But the minute it's over, I'm so happy that I did it. Yes. So I'm basically doing it for that moment. I'm really after that endorphin high. I, that's, yeah. that's what I'm in it for. Yeah. Because that lasts all day. You feel good for the rest of the day. You feel like you accomplished something. No matter what goes wrong for the rest of the day, you exercised. Absolutely. I ran this morning and I feel so smug right now. I mean, just- you could just watch TV for the rest of the day because you got your run in. That's right. That's right. Well, my self-care this week is so-so. I have a lot of travel coming up. I'm actually, I'm traveling to Austin, Texas um, this coming weekend for this girls weekend that I do every year. And then two weeks after that, I have to go to New York for a little book meeting. And it's really funny. Like, I love to travel. I really do. I mean, travel is a, a super high value for me, but I really stress out right before I have to travel, no matter what. Um, and I just Me like, too. do I do this thing where I feel like before I travel, like I have to clear, um, my entire desk off, deal with any mail or bill that has ever come across my desk. I have to do every piece of laundry. I have to have the house perfectly clean. Like I, it almost, I treat it like this, like big deadline, like all these things I have to do before the trip, before the trip, before the trip, which is really dumb. Cause it's like a four day trip. Like why, why would I need to? <laughs> to achieve everything before I leave for the trip, but I do it every freaking time. Are you are you like a pre-packer? Like, do you start thinking about that ahead of time? Or are you like an hour before you leave for the airport, stuff goes in your suitcase? I am somehow miraculously both. So I will like lay the suitcase out and I will just keep looking at it and I'll put a few things in it, but then I'll also like at the very last minute procrastinate and like start doing my toiletries or something. And I also invariably can't find a thing that I need for the trip. Like I'm missing a shoe and that was the shoe that I was 
going to wear because I only take one pair of shoes with me on a trip or like there's always some catastrophe before a trip it feels like too. So I don't know. I just I'm I, I, I'm like living in a level of stress that I know is because I have travel coming up, but but it's not a real stress. It's more of a self-induced anxiety stress. Yes, I would actually love to do an episode about um, the anxiety that comes around with traveling because I probably travel, I travel like once a month now for work. And I'm at the point where uh, I I have things in place, systems in place where I've made it easier. But regardless of how often I travel, I still get to the point where I'm panicking like the two hours before I have to leave. Me too. And I've really, I travel a Enough that I'm like, shouldn't this end? Like, like, shouldn't I just be able to feel confident that things are not going to go totally wrong? Or if they do, that I'll live. Right. Or how many times do I have to go out and buy socks? Like, how many Target trips do I really have to take? <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. We should do an episode on that. I think that would be interested, interesting. And I would love to talk to someone who travels like, you know, almost every week and, and figure out like, how do they manage? Or maybe they are still stressed all the time. I don't know. Oh, that would kill me. Travel stress every week. Oh, I know. I, I would I would have to adapt really quickly. I would. I know. I guess you would. I guess you just naturally would. Well, what do you have for two thumbs up for us? What are your recommendations? Okay, I have not been sleeping well. And I have no idea if this is um, just placebo effect, but I've been using these Clova melatonin patches. I hate swallowing pills. I really, I get to the point where I just collect bottles of really cool Instagram-y vitamins because I don't ever actually swallow them. So this is a patch that I peel off, I stick on my body, and in theory, it, you know, does its melatonin magic and I fall asleep. The one thing that I like about it is you're supposed to put it on about an hour or two before bed. And I feel mm. like that's become a trigger for me. Totally. Where I put it on and, and I go, okay, yeah, it's time to wind down and yep. get out of my work clothes and shut down the computer and that sort of thing. So that's almost been like, that's that's probably been half of it is oh, just totally. a reminder, time to wind down. That's right. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my second thing is, um, I I imagine that this is the same for a lot of people who uh, have like a computer, like, who are on a computer a lot or on a phone a lot, where they get a lot of tension, um, kind of at the base of their skull, like right where their neck is. Um, and you're I- literally describing my body right now. <laughs> and I I can't go to the chiropractor you know, every day or get a massage every day as much as I'd like to. So I found this, it's called a Da Vinci Vinci wedge. And it's basically, you know, it's a tiny little tool. It's maybe the size of, I don't know, a a mug. And I lie on the floor and I kind of tuck it right underneath the back of my head. And I kind of just rest there and your, your head is, it's right at that. I think it's this Forgive me for anyone who's super sciencey. It digs right into the sub- the suboccipital muscles, uh-huh. and I just lay there and I listen to chill music, and it's like ten minutes of just kind of lying on the floor, and it's like a little massage for my neck, and it's just all that pressure. It just it's it's magic. I like it so much that I now I bought one for my suitcase so I can have one when I travel. It's so it's almost kind of putting you in a little traction. Yeah, I think so. it's just kind of like this little you're always I'm always kind of leaning over or my, yeah. my head is tilting down. And it's kind of just making your head tilt the other way. Oh, yeah. And stretching. It's just that's right. And then it, it also feels like, you know, when you get a massage and they hit that one spot and you're like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, jam on that. It's like someone's just jamming on that for 10 minutes. It's, oh, it's great. I need one of these. Yes. Yeah, I have that exact tension, like so bad. And exactly like I like I I can't I don't have the time or money for these massages, you know, that would probably fix it. Right. Yeah. So it's been it's that one has definitely been a game changer for me to the point where if I lost it, it's what you know, something's really important to you if the second you lost it, you'd immediately have to buy it again. And so that's that's (laughs) one of those things for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I um, one of my new New Year's resolutions have has been to drink more water, um, and so I have done all kinds of watery things, which sounds sounds so boring to talk about how I'm like making water more exciting. Um, but I got one of those Berkey filters, and I got one of those giant obnoxious jugs that you like fill with all your water for the day, and you drink and drink and drink. But I found another thing that is making me more excited about water. So have you ever had alkaline water? I have not, but I read about it a lot on the internet. So what's weird is I actually am not super sure why alkaline water is important, (laughs) other than like you put the pH right, but I really like the way it tastes. 
I really like the way it tastes. And I've had different companies send me like bottled alkaline water. But for me, I've always been like, well, I'm not going to drink bottled water, right? Like, first of all, the plastic. Second of all, the expense. Not interested. So I just found this um, filter. It's called Go Filter. And it's like a little, I would say it's the size of like a little Tums case or like the size of a little um, bottle of essential oil. So it's small. Oh, it's tiny. It's tiny. And it's got all of these little um, beads inside of it. And you put the beads inside the water and it turns the water alkaline. And then they have one that turns the water alkaline and then adds magnesium to the water, which magnesium is supposed to be really good for stress and for sleep. And so instead of taking a supplement, you're actually infusing it into the water. And that one little capsule is supposed to be good for 750 refills. So about three months, for about three months, you just take this little capsule, reuse it every day for three months, pop it in there, and it like settles the pH, increases the pH of your water, and gives you minerals, electrolytes, and magnesium. So kind of cool. And it's 30 bucks. So for three months, I mean, it's, you know, a lot cheaper than bottled water. Yeah, that sounds great for if you're like me and you hate taking pills too. Totally. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that uh, alkaline water tasted differently. You're telling me it tastes better. I really like the taste. Yes, it does. I think it tastes better. I can't explain it. It just tastes... Like there's a mineral taste to it that I really like. I don't know. I will have to check that out too. I mean, I don't think the taste is the general selling point. This might be some weird thing that I have. (laughs) I've never seen anyone talk about the taste, but nonetheless, I like the taste. Oh, bonus. Yeah. Um, And then um, I'm a big candle person. I love candles. That is a little self-care for me when I light a candle, which I don't actually do that often. But when I do it, it really feels like I'm like totally taking care of myself right now, (laughs) which is kind of lame. But um, I found this new collection of candles. They're called Scrumptious Wicks. They are homemade by a woman-owned business, and they have the best scents. They have the woman who runs it, I believe she's Indian, and she has all these scents like Indian monsoon, chai, uh, mango lassi. So like just a lot of really fun, different um, scents. And I'm a huge fan. Um, they have one of ginger and saffron. I'm a huge chai fan, so I'm like super digging her chai candle right now. I love uh, lighting a candle uh, when I take a bath, not just because of, you know, the the light it gives, because I usually I usually take a bath in like a dark, a dark bathroom. But I just find there's something about the ritual of it, about yes. like lighting a candle and then like, you know, leaning back and taking a bath that feels like I'm I'm, I'm uh, yes, like I'm taking in that box, that self care box. Yes. Like, oh, this is this is the stuff. Yes, it does feel that way. And I I love scented. I feel like the scent is just so nice too. like when you walk out of the room and come back in and you're like, ah, my house smells like anthropology. Yes, I I do love an anthropology smell for sure. Well, I do too. I actually have a lot of those candles as well. The um, there's one in like a jar and they always have beads around it. It's the jar one. Um, Oh, Capri Blue. Yes, that's the one. Yes. So I get those pretty much for every gift because everyone knows I love them. (laughs) I have a bit of a stockpile. Well, I want to take a quick second to talk about some of the new things coming up on Selfie. Um, As I mentioned last week, we are reformatting the show a bit. And one of the new segments we're going to be doing is Ask the Therapist. And I wanted to do a quick introduction of BJ Hickman. She is going to be providing this wisdom for us. I have known BJ for several years. She is, and I have said this to many people I know, one of the wisest people I know. So I wanted to introduce BJ to you guys today. She's going to be answering questions. And if you have questions for BJ, you can ask them in the Selfie Facebook group, or you can go to the show notes to find a place where you can ask her anonymously. BJ, I am so excited to have you doing this with us. I'm so happy to be here. Kristen, thank you so much for inviting me into this space during this season of the Selfie Podcast really looking forward to our conversations together and bringing some of these topics to the forefront and see if we can't get to some answers together about these different crises in life that people have been asking about. I really love this selfie community. I'm so grateful for this selfie community, our Facebook page. We have gathered together some really amazing people and built a beautiful, safe community where 
people are engaging in some conversations about things. It's really the only reason I go on Facebook anymore. And it's the first thing I do when I get to Facebook is go to see what you're talking about, what questions you're asking, what you're looking for. I don't think there's anything off limits. And I love that. And I want that to be how we approach these questions and answers as well. I don't want there to be anything that's off limits. I want you to be able to bring every question without shame and we'll dive in and try to get to some answers together. Some of you may remember that I've been on the show a couple of times in the early days as a guest for Sarah and Kristen. Um, But for the rest of you, I wanted to start with a little bit of an introduction. I'm a professional counselor and an emotional wellness coach. I'm also certified in the research of Dr. Brene Brown. I'm sure that's a name that's familiar to the majority of you. And I'm an experiential specialist. That simply means that I've been trained in some therapeutic modalities that allow me to address trauma with my clients. I work from my home in Long Beach, California as a private practitioner, and I do most of my work by phone, which gives me the opportunity to work with people no matter where they are. So I have clients all over the United States and a couple even outside of the United States. And my specialization is childhood trauma as it relates to our attachment systems. And this is something that you will hear me talk about as I dive into the answers to some of your questions, because um, we all have, well, we're born with a secure attachment system, but because none of us were born to perfect parents in perfect environments. We did not get all of our emotional needs met the way we are hardwired to expect to get. And we now define trauma to an infant and in early childhood development as anything less than nurturing. So when we don't get that nurturing for any reason, it's not usually nefarious. Our parents did the best they could but there were different circumstances that kept them from being able to really connect to us in the way that we needed to be. And so it changed the way we see ourselves. It changed the way we see the world and how we show up in the world. And often we get to all the way to adulthood um, before we realize that we developed some coping mechanisms in the absence of getting those needs met that we're now trying to continue using, but it's really not working for us very well. So that's usually when people pick up the phone and call me and we begin to try to figure out how to interrupt those belief systems and those skill sets that we've learned and try to find healthier ones that will allow us to be healthier in our relationships and in our lives. Um, our insecure attachment also interferes with our ability to become who we want to be, to um, pursue certain careers, to get outside of our, get out of our own way. And so that's the work that I do. So as we dive into these questions on the selfie podcast, there's a couple of things I just want to invite you into. A lot of the times as I've read your, through some of your questions, I have a lot of questions about your questions, and since I don't really have the opportunity to ask you more for more detail, I'm going to answer the questions based on what's been written to the best of my ability. Having said that, I'm going to miss the mark at times, I feel like, and so if I answer your question and either I misinterpreted what you were looking for or I left something out because there was some added information that at the time that you submitted the question you didn't think to include, I'm going to invite you to reach out to me either on the Selfie Podcast community page um, through a DM in that arena, or um, I'm active on Instagram on a daily basis. You can DM me there as well. My handle there is just my name, BJ Hickman, and you can find me there. Feel free to ask me follow-up questions. I want to make sure that you feel like you got your questions answered well. And that I answered the parts that are answered it to the degree that you were looking for an answer, if, if at all possible. So don't hesitate to do that. I'm really wanting to create a judgment-free space for those questions that leave you feeling stuck and isolated or confused or even concerned about the direction that your life is going. Or maybe it's even situations that you're in that you just simply don't know what to do about or relationships Um, with people that are unaware of of your boundaries and you're not really sure how to 
implement them or uh, keep them in place, I want to just make sure that you feel that you're um, finding a way out of those situations in a healthy way. So my commitment to you, my promise to you is that I will keep it judgment free and I'll come in with compassion and loving care and answer the questions the best I can. And I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I am really looking forward to it too. I think that this is going to bring a real depth to our conversations here at Selfie. So BJ, we are very excited to have you. And as she mentioned, you can reach out in the Facebook group. Um, there'll be a form that you can use if you want to do it anonymously, as I mentioned at selfiepodcast.com. Um, we're excited to be adding this to the show. We've talked a lot about skincare on the show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So With two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a slicky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white pastel neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their Cloud Shave Foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. 
Well, today I'm excited to be interviewing Philip Shepard. Philip is a teacher and coach on embodiment. He's written several books, including New Self, New World, and Radical Wholeness, and developed practices to help people reunite the thinking of the head with the presence of the body. Philip, thank you for joining us, and tell us a little bit about how you came to be interested in this work. I, uh, you know... Where my mind goes to is me as a teenager. Ooh, well, this is interesting yeah. already. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I was, <laughs> I guess I was an interesting teenager in some ways because I, I really felt my life confined and bound up by these unwritten rules in my culture. Hmm. And, you know, I, it's like I tried to wage war against it in a way, but but I was immersed in it. I was in the middle of it, and and it's like fighting the ocean or something. So yeah. what I did was I, I took off. So I went to England and bought a bicycle and headed off for Japan. Mm. And I cycled through Europe and the Middle East and India and Japan, and I passed through so many different ways of understanding what it means to be human. Yeah. I was gone I was gone two years. You know, and at that age it, it you know, these different ways of being seeped into me. And um especially in a way my time in Japan, I studied classical Japanese no theater. And in in the arts in Japan, the center of of your artistic source is hara which is the japanese word for belly but it's like they recognize this intelligence in the body and every artistic impulse arises from that source and so that that's sort of been a guiding touchstone for me throughout my life as well yeah, I love that. I mean, I love travel and I love theater. So the fact that you sort of found this center through travel and theater just tickles me very much. Um, yeah, and then and then just to throw it into the mix, um, I've been an actor all my life. So, ah. so it wasn't just like the theoretical, oh, that's interesting. It was actually finding that place of, of embodiment for myself, you know, on stage in, in different roles and exploring it in that way. It was a godsend. Absolutely. I mean, I could go on forever. I'm a theater geek, could go on forever about how I do think acting and theater bring us into new understandings of other people and kind of broaden and widen our empathy, but also our understanding of ourselves. Yeah, because, you know, any actor's exercise that is worth anything is another way of learning to be present. Mm -hmm. And it's just such rich, rich territory. Yeah, I completely agree. I love it. So one of the things that you talk about is the fact that many of us in our current culture, especially in our Western culture, have almost been trained to turn against or push away from wholeness. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I really think we are almost blind to wholeness. And to, to contextualize that, you know, we struggle to feel the present as a whole. We can notice different things about the present, but to feel it in its wholeness is a struggle for us, which is yeah. kind of kind of odd because all all it is is wholeness. So so to be incapacitated to feel the the presence of the present, if you yeah. will. Yes. Um and then that applies to ourselves, you know, to feel the self as a whole. And then what does it mean to speak from the wholeness of your being or listen mm. from the wholeness of your being? And and it's not that we escape wholeness uh -huh. because because it's all there is in it's our there. world. It's mm -hmm. what the, it's there. It's it's the nature of our reality. But what happens is that we desensitize ourselves to it. And I think that happens culturally as we're taught yeah. to live in the heads and take charge of our lives. And when you're when you're taking charge in a top-down way, you're muting all the body's attunement to the world around it. You you barely hear that. And that attunement is your bridge to the wholeness of the world. You know, I feel that intuitively, just that um 
pushing away in our culture and the turning away from that. But I'm, I'm curious to specifically, like, first of all, why? Why do we do that? And second of all, what are, what are some of the ways or habits or even cultural norms that um, we're surrounded by that push us away from it? Okay, let me let me tackle the cultural norms before the why. Yeah. Because at the very center of our culture is a belief in independence. And mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, 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 independence is vaunted as this necessary thing to grow into and stand on your own two feet and Oh yeah. And Joseph Campbell <laughs> who was, you know, you know him. Okay. I do. <laughs> yeah, this fabulous mythologist. So he he defined the tyrant of mythology as the man of self-achieved independence. Mm-hmm. Now, now, that phrase, you know, the man of self-achieved independence, that is the American dream. It is. I don't, I don't know that you could find a better summation of it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we we feel this tug to be independent, which is which is a fantasy, because nothing there's not one example in all the cosmos of independence. Everything leans mm-hmm. on everything. Everything depends on everything. Everything influences everything. So we are tugged into this fantasy that breeds a sort of entitlement and a self-absorption. Mm-hmm. And so then, then I feel like loneliness follows. Oh, yeah. Be- because here's, here's what happens. It's, it's when, you, when you ascribe to this idea that you are basically independent, then you feel that aloneness and mm. you understand your personal experience to be strictly private. Well, every experience I have is shared. You know, I mean, the world ripples into me and I ripple into the world. But if I come to believe that my personal experience is private, then my number one job in life becomes to supervise that experience, to manage it, to get it right. Mm. Now, what I've, what I've done there is I've taken the spotlight of my intelligence and turned it off the world and put it onto myself. And now I'm in a divided state where there's part of me basically sitting up in the head watching the rest of me and arranging it and organizing it and trying to get it right. And trying to control so, outcomes. There, absolutely. And I am, I am by definition in a state of self-consciousness. I am conscious of the yeah. self. And that's the state we live in. And that's why our cultural obsession, to go back to our culture, is with organizing. And we organize our thoughts and we organize Uh our emotions and we organize our relationships and our, we organize plenty of everything. Now, if you're, if you're obsessed with organizing. Are you literally talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was talking in more general terms. I like how you were using the royal you, but I feel like it's the specific you. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. You know, we'll leave it as a sort of general. If if generally someone is obsessed with organizing. This resonates. Mm -hmm. All right. They are precluding the possibility of feeling themselves being organized by the present. Oh, that is just so true. And if you cannot feel yourself being organized by the present, you are deaf and dumb and blind to its guidance. Yeah, I feel that in my bones. Mm-hmm. And that's the paradigm, you know, yeah. we're, we're sort of stuck in. Mm-hmm. And it's culturally induced. We learn it. We we, we drink it in as mm-hmm. infants from the culture around us. Mm-hmm. We do. And that's what, I, that's what I was bucking against as a teenager. And I mm-hmm. sort of made a break for it. And, you know, when I headed off on my bike, I, I honestly didn't fully expect to come back alive. Hmm. Um, how do you how do you cycle through the Middle East alone, you know, without some kind of peril befalling you? But 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 it 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 was it was all fine. But I knew 
that if I stayed in my culture, some essential part of me would die. And that's, that's why I couldn't, I couldn't stay. I had to leave. Yeah. But then you, you came back. <laughs> I did. Yeah. But you brought back with you, you know, what were the gifts that you brought back with you from that experience? Our culture basically communicates to us in a million ways what it means to be human. And every culture basically is that story, that culture story of what it means to be human. And that yeah. shows up in our language and our architecture and our customs. And, you know, that, that whole individuality thing is, is, is why we have a placemat and this is my space at the dinner table and my chair. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you want the salt and it's to my right, God help me if you reach through my space to get it, mm -hmm. right? You have to say, please pass the salt. And then I safely convey it through my space to you. So uh, we drink in this story of what it means to be human. Mm. And and we we've, we've taken it into ourselves before we're old enough to question it. And so yeah. on... On my bike, I passed through so many different ways of understanding what it means to be human. And every one of those ways was luminous. And every one um, was limited in its way as well. So, so I, I cracked. You see, what happens, if I can say so, is that we mistake the story of what it means to be human for the reality. Yeah. And we we come to believe the story is the reality. Yeah. And there so there used to be, you know, these um vision quests or walkabouts, these these rites that would take someone out of the womb of the culture alone into the landscape where you learn that the story is just a story. And you encounter reality directly in a way that that you understand re reality can't be contained in a story. It can be experienced, but but there is no story that that can embrace it and hold it. Yeah. And so then you you come back as I did. You come back into your into your society, recognizing the value of the story, but also recognizing that it is just a story. And how do we, you know, how do we shift those narratives that are so deeply ingrained, you know, when we sort of have this story that we're clinging to and that we're living in and swimming in? So it's not just that we have have settled on a narrative in our own mind, but it's being reinforced in our culture all around us. You know, for those listeners who, you know, they can't hop on a bike or maybe travel, but they're confined to the culture they're living in, you know, how do how do we shift? Well, I can give you my take on it. Yeah. Um, we, our culture has given its allegiance to the drives and the fantasies of the mythological tyrant. So mm. acquisition becomes mm -hmm. paramount to a stat. Personal mm -hmm. status yes. becomes paramount. Independence, uh, you know, uh, that, that barrier that separates me from the world. And all of that shows up in our relationship to the body. Uh, so yeah. So if you if you live in your head, you're living in a in a sort of enclosed realm that is dulled to the to the body's harmony with the world around it. And and absolutely I mean, here's here's a little irony for you. Our body processes a billion times more information than we can be consciously aware of. Mm. And here we are, we've given our allegiance to this conscious arbiter in the head, mm -hmm. and we we remain trapped there. So, so the tyranny is exerted over ourselves, you know, in that self-conscious way of judging and goading and, and mm. blaming and, and flattering. But it's also a tyranny that's asserted over the world around us. We, you know, that thing you said, we want to take control. We want to be in charge. Yeah. And you cannot come into harmony with the world 
if you're struggling to control it, that the two are oh. at odds. Yeah. And that's where that, that cultural obsession with organizing, you know, which we take to be our means to success is actually our Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. And for those of us who, you know, maybe get stuck in those cycles of being in our head, trying to control, trying to organize. I mean, clearly, I know you're not advocating for like, just don't be a thinker, because I know you are a thinker, <laughs> you know. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah. So how do we find that body brain balance? I, I love that you're using the word balance for that, um, because it's, 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 it's not a matter of jettisoning that brilliant faculty in the head but the mm -hmm. relationship of the intelligence mm. of the head to the intelligence of the body mm -hmm. i think is pretty well summarized by that hackneyed image of the guy going down on one knee to offer the the ring to his beloved that that the gifts of analysis and perspective that that the cranial brain minds only come into their full value when they are brought down through the body mm. to resonate deep, deep uh, within it. And that's where you touch your truth. I think you touch your deepest truth in this intelligence of hara that the Japanese talked of in the belly and the pelvic bowl. So, so bringing those into harmony requires a flip in the hierarchy we've established where the head is in charge and suddenly the that faculty is not not the master of the body but the in a way the servant you know to 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 foster life and our aliveness to the world rather than our management of our lives yeah you know it's interesting too i i'm a definitely a person who struggles with being in my head, um, absolutely raised with those cultural imperatives of independence and controlling outcomes. And it has been a lifelong struggle for me. And I find too, that when I'm in my head and I'm ignoring my body, my body shows up and says, Hey, if you're not going to pay attention to me, I'm going to act out. Right. I'm going to get a little, a little louder. Yeah. 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 And, and I, you know, I find that when I'm when I'm not in my body or paying attention to it or taking care of it, um, I have a lot of psychosomatic issues that pop up. Absolutely. There was a brilliant guy, John Sarno. I don't know if you've come across yes. him. Yeah. yeah. So his work, he would, he, he, 80, something like 80% of the, he was a medical doctor, but 80% right, right. of the people, of the patients he saw, he realized what they were suffering from was, was, unexpressed rage, unexpressed emotion, that they were out of touch. And as you say, the body was acting up and he found ways to, to bring them back to that buried truth. Um, and once it was expressed, you know, their symptoms disappeared with it. Yes. Extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think his book is The Mind-Body Prescription. And I love yeah. that he's a medical doctor, so he's even coming from that framework and then recognizing in his studies, wait a minute, <laughs> Look, this is not all medic, you know, traditional medicine. Yeah, I mean, medically, there's nothing wrong with this person, right? But but clearly, they're suffering. It's right. not imagined. It is. And then he, what he, it's so interesting to me. What he pinpointed as the cause of that was was a restriction of blood flow. Mm. That that this rage, this unexpressed emotion, whatever it was in the body, found ways to restrict blood flow, which would cause all kinds of problems. Yeah, so wild. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then you've you have developed a practice, you know, for people wanting to kind of get that balance, that connection, called the embodied present process. So, talk to me about what that is. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty much my life's work. Yeah. Um, how to, you know, it began with Hara and how to find my own way to that. Um, and then you realize on a massive scale how everyone is held within this box, this paradigm that 
that insists on a top-down modality. So even something like yoga can become top-down, making the body do what you know is good for it. And the, the embodied present process is really a way of activating the body's intelligence. And you become willing to feel it, you know, willing to feel your breath. And I think, I think there's this really close relationship between breath and love, mm. that, that the breath will go into the parts of the body to which you offer love. And where you don't love the body, the breath isn't going to go. No matter how to allow the breath to flood the whole of the body, which, we, I mean, we don't even, you know, that it doesn't even make sense within our paradigm because, well, the breath goes into the lungs. But, but there is a wave, a breath wave of response that travels down to the feet, down to the fingertips, to the top of the head. And as that, as that breath wave awakens the whole of your being, you're already bringing the cranial intelligence into relationship with the intelligence of the body. And I've got, I mean, I've got literally hundreds of practices I've developed to, to undo the specific cultural prohibitions and instructions that are compromising the body's intelligence so that we can liberate it and once again attune to the world through the body. So I should say my work is not about listening to the body. Hmm. And there's a place for listening to the body, but listening to the body is this top-down modality that is basically telling us that your body is in the room next door, and the best you can do is put your ear to the wall separating you from it and listen <laughs> to see what's going on on the other side. So my work is about listening to the world through the body, and I think the body is a resonator. That's its true nature. And when the body is stuffed with tension and prohibitions and um, blame and whatever, it loses its spaciousness and it stops resonating to the world. Mm. So how to recover that natural spaciousness of being within the body and then you just feel the world around you in such a tangible way. Mm. One thing I wanted to ask you too is, you know, your book is called, one of your books is called Radical Wholeness, The Embodied Present and the Ordinary Grace of Being. And I'm really curious about that ordinary grace and what that means. Well, I, you know, we, because of this tyrannical urge that's been seeded into us, we strive to be special. We strive to be mm -hmm. extraordinary. We strive and, and, um, ordinariness is the web of reality. What I mean by that is like you pick up an ordinary twig and there within its rings are a record of seasons that you've lived through, that part of the, the cellular structure of that twig may be um, carbon that's been breathed out by your ancestors. The, it, it, that twig connects you to everything and the, 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 Etymological root of our word "ordinary" means to to join. Um, it's like it, it's a it's an underlying web that connects to everything. So, I I cherish my ordinariness, and I feel imprisoned by the least little urge to stand apart, to be independent, to, to be uh, somehow special. It, it deprives me of my essential humanity. Mm. And so in that ordinariness of a child's tears, of, of a blade of grass, of waves on the shore, in that ordinariness, there is a grace of being that brings me back to myself. And yet, I know that's going to feel really counterintuitive to a lot of people and maybe even offensive, like <laughs> that I can't be special or, right? Like, yeah, I can't I, be individualist. Or, not that I can't, but, the, you know, well, it is a radical a, departure from... Yeah. Now, now, to me, there's a big difference between individuality 
and independence. Ah. So everyone has a unique cluster of gifts. Okay. The, the, the gifts you've been born with, no one else has ever been born with that particular cluster of gifts. And meanwhile, the world is whispering to you to put those gifts into service. That's what it's calling for. And so, and so let your individuality blossom, but it's blossoming within this context of service, which is so very different. You know, in, when, you're feel, when you feel special, there is this tacit entitlement that you deserve to be served. And I think that's a disease. Mm. I truly do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. So you do workshops on <laughs> radical wholeness. What yeah. do those look like? Um, well, they're pretty um, outside the box in a way. It's mm -hmm. the workshops. The workshops have um, such a simplicity to the exercises. So I can I can describe the first exercise that we do. You you lie on the floor and completely relax. And the more deeply you give your body's weight over the floor, the more you begin to experience the fluidity of your body. And the body is 65% water, so fluidity is, is absolutely essential to its nature. And then your partner gently pushes on a leg or an arm and sets up a ripple that goes through your body. And, and then the issue is, the exploration is, is the whole of my body available to that ripple? Can I feel it traveling through the whole of my being? Or is it blocked? Or am I assisting it? That's the other thing is we, we, we start to organize the ripple before it's happened mm. and how to neither, neither assist the ripple nor resist it, how to just be in the experience of this ripple passing through the body. And, you know, it's simplicity itself, but then there are layers and layers beneath that. And so the workshop moves through four themes, breath, because because breath is what activates the body's intelligence and rest because we you know we live in it we live in a culture where we have been told up is good and down is bad mm -hmm. you're looking up today she's looking a little down i mean it's mm -hmm. it's an arbit mm -hmm. it's an arbitrary assignment but there's no ambiguity for us but in another culture you're looking up today could mean you're looking a little um flighty and disconnected are you okay or you're looking down could mean you're looking like you're at peace with yourself and at rest in the world but no, in our culture, heaven is up, hell is down, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to climb Binaries. the ladder? You, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and so what happens is we, we, in times of stress, our energy goes higher and higher in the body because we've internalized that, that, that the brain will save us, the rational thinking will save us. But of course, the higher your energy goes in the body, the more disabled, in effect, you become. Mm. And so the second theme of the workshop is how to, how to feel yourself at rest on the earth, how to let that energy drop down through your body and rest here and now. And the third theme is receptivity. And I think there's an equivalence between receptivity and presence. But again, in our culture, because of this obsession with organizing, we tend to be deluded into thinking that being present is somehow organizing yourself into a state of presence. <laughs> totally. Right. So then, yeah. again, you're taking the, the spotlight of your attention yeah. and placing it on yourself and you're in a divided state. The, the presence is a state of receptivity where you where mm. you open that spaciousness of your being to the world around you and receive it and then the final theme of the workshop is integration and i think our culture doesn't know anything about integration because integration for for from my purposes in my experience happens in the body the intelligence of the body is what brings the world into wholeness so we're sitting up in our heads it's like we're pasting together all these bits of information trying thinking that that if we paste enough pieces together it'll add up to a whole and that's just not what wholeness is it's so true well this <laughs> this has been really illuminating truly and it has been um 
a motivator for me to do more of that integration, the mind-body integration. Mm -hmm. um, you have two books available, Radical Wholeness, The Embodied Presence and the Ordinary Grace of Being, and then New Self, New World, Recovering Our Senses in the 21st Century. And I know those are available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Where can people find you online and more info on what you do? Well, I'd love to, I'd love to give you two websites. One yeah. is myphilipshepherd.com, uh, which has lists of my workshops and blogs and all kinds of, of stuff to support the work. The other is tep.life. So tep, T-E-P-P, is the embodied present process. And tep.life is, is a, a website that has an app and courses um, so that people can, can find support every week to undo um, the paradigms of our culture. It's not something that happens quickly. It really is a journey. And mm -hmm. so the, the app um, delivers podcasts and, and practices to support that journey of coming home with yourself. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. It's been such a pleasure, Christy. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at SelfiePodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes but you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care.